You know, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew um, portrays Jesus in the very beginning with a genealogy. And so he talks about Jesus from his uh, natural birth, uh, from Mary and uh, by Joseph, even though Joseph really was not a part of that. He, he chronicles that part of Jesus' life. In Mark's gospel, he talks about how Jesus is this uh, wonderful servant who came to just serve and uh, how he came to minister. And uh, Mark does a tremendous job uh, doing that. And he talks about John the Baptist and talks about uh, how Jesus came on the scene uh, to share the gospel. And Luke's uh, narrative in his gospel is just full of everything that we normally hear during Christmas series and Christmas sermons, the things that you grew up with, with Christmas plays at church, things like uh, stables and mangers and wise men and angels declaring the glory of God and all of those different things. That's where Luke takes us in his gospel. But today I want us to consider for our subject as we start this Christmas series, The Word Became Flesh, how Jesus is the beginning of all things. And so with that, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 1. And I'm going to read uh, all the way down through verse 18. But today, for the sake of today, we're going to deal with just verses 1 and 2. But I want to sort of set the stage of where God's leading us uh, during the month of December. And as we uh, celebrate Advent, as we celebrate and we look forward... We celebrate the first coming of Christ. We look forward to the second coming of Christ as we proclaim the gospel, as we worship him, as we uh, try to push back on the materialistic nature of the holiday uh, as it is here in America and as we focus on Christ and him lifted up as Messiah and as uh, Lord and as Savior, as the only begotten Son of God. We want to look at John and consider how he is the beginning of all things. And so uh, I know you just sat down a minute ago, but I want to ask you uh, to start this series. I want to ask you to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Will you do that uh, this morning? And I want you to look at God's Word together with us. And I want you to hear how John introduces Jesus. There's a word here, uh, logos. It means the Word. In this context, in John chapter 1, it refers to uh, the divine word, the living word. It's referring to Christ himself. John does not use this word by accident. He begins the very first verse of his gospel by letting everyone know this great I am is among us. This very word of God who is spoken through the prophets in the Old Testament is among us. This God who speaks and who is living has come to dwell among us. The Word, Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. We call that the incarnation. And what John does is he allows us to focus on this Jesus, this eternal Jesus, who is the beginning of all things. Here's how he starts that in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. You may be seated this morning. Jesus, the beginning of all things. It's not hard to understand what John's message is in this Gospel of John because he lets us know in chapter 20 and verse 31 the reason that he's writing to us. It's really, really important to hear the word of God, to know this divine logos, and to know that he continually speaks today. That is why when we gather together for life group, when we gather together as a family, we don't just read a passage of scripture and then say, Brian, what do you think that means? Jenny, what do you think that means? Olivia, what do you think it means? Caleb, Ruthie, tell me what you guys think. And then we have all of these hodgepodge ideas of what we think the Word of God means. And then we say, okay, there's a little bit of truth in all of those different opinions. That is not the way that we read the Word of God or study the Word of God. And the reason being is this. The author has an original intent. So when he writes to us, when the word of God speaks to us, the author knows exactly the message that he is trying to convey. How many of you are parents in the house? Let me see your hand this morning. Okay, when you ask your child and you say to them, hey, today it's Tuesday, Uh, the chore day for you is to take out the garbage. Yesterday you were supposed to feed the dog, today you take out the garbage. Will you take out the garbage? Yes, I'll make sure that I get the garbage taken out. There's no misunderstanding from the parents' end what you've asked that child to do, right? You have asked that child to do what? Take out the garbage, right? So when your child comes to you and your child says, oh, I didn't quite understand that, or I didn't know that's what you meant, and you roll your eyes and you sit back and you think, what do you mean? How much clearer could I be? I told you this is what I wanted you to do. Make sure you take out the garbage. Now listen to me. When we come to the word of God, God has spoken. And God is speaking. And he has a particular message that he's wanting us to convey. 
So Bible study does not come about by a lot of a different opinion. Bible study comes by allowing the Word of God to interpret itself and for us to be able to know it within its uh, sentence structure, within its paragraph, within its chapter, within the book, without, and then within the entire canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And so in chapter 20, verse 31, here's what John says is the reason that he's written this gospel. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why does John begin his gospel? Why have we chosen or been led to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 for our Christmas series? Because Jesus wants us to clearly note and understand today that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit inspired John to pen these words and to write these words that we have read this morning. And he wants us to know that Jesus is this Messiah, right? He's the anointed one who has come from uh, the Father, who has come from uh, the triune Godhead, who has come to save the world from its sins. And then secondly, he wants us to have eternal and spiritual and abundant life in him. He says that very clearly. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, that by believing upon Jesus, you may have life in his name. I have tremendous good news for you on December 1st, 2019, and it is that Jesus wants everyone in this room to have life. Jesus wants you to know the Lord. He wants you to know the Lord for all eternity. He wants you to know him in a spiritual way, in an everlasting way. He wants you to know him in a, a personal way and for you to have abundant life in him. So let me begin this Christmas series with just a couple of questions this morning. What do you think of Jesus Christ? What do you think of Jesus Christ? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Is he God in the flesh who is this self-revealing God who has come to make himself known? What do you think of Jesus? Who do you think he is? Who is Jesus? The, the answer to these questions are very crucial. They're, they're just crucial and crucially important questions. They're some of the most important questions that we could ever ask and that we could ever give an answer for. It, it's important because these questions are inescapable. You and I will have to answer these questions sooner or later, one day or another, in this world or in the world that is to come. And because the quality of our life here and your eternal destiny depend upon this answer, who do you think Jesus is? Who is he? It's very important that we get that right. Because if you're here this morning and you say, well, he was only a man, then you can just safely forget about this whole sermon series and just go about doing Christmas as you want to. And if you say Jesus was just a man, he's not any different than any other kind of prophet who's ever lived or He's not any different than any other kind of spiritual leader or moral teacher that's ever lived. I would just say to you, you are wasting your time here. You have permission, man, to go do whatever you need to do and want to do because you have not submitted yourself to the first commandment, and that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But if you're here 
and you say, no, I believe that Jesus is God as he claimed to be, and as all Christians have believed down through the history of Christianity, then these questions are vitally important because there's not room for us to not yield or not submit or not to worship him or not to serve him, but we should desire to serve him and worship him faithfully with all of our lives. And so I want you to look at verses 1 and 2 this morning. And I want you to notice three things that the Holy Spirit, through the pen of John, wants us to know. Three characteristics about this eternal Jesus, this Jesus who is just uh, the beginning of all things, who has always existed. I want you to hear these three things, and then we're going to do something different. So normally as we preach, we, we'll work through the text, and then we'll make application in that particular point. But today, I want verses 1 and 2, I want us to hear these three statements that are made, and then I want us to come back and make application about them. The first three statements of John's gospel are very tremendously theological. They're really biblical. That means they really let us know a lot about God, and they let us know a lot about Jesus. And so I hope that you will write these three things down, leave a little bit of room, and then we're going to be able to put application on the screen in just a minute. So look with me at verse 1, and then that first portion of verse 1, and then the verse 2, and notice what he says. The first thing that John wants us to know, the Holy Spirit instructs him to write, inspires him, leads him to record, is this fact, that Jesus eternally exists with God. Jesus eternally, that's an important word, exists with God. When he says in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and then in verse 2 he says he was in the beginning with God. John does not use this language in the beginning by accident. He knows that he's going to have Jewish readers and a Jewish audience, and so when he uses this phrase, in the beginning, it takes us right back, right, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He wants us to know that when you and I as humanity start to measure time and we start to look at creation as a framework of how we measure time, he was saying this, that when we started to measure time, Jesus was there. Jesus was in the beginning. He has always existed. Athanasius, one of our early church fathers, said this. Listen to what Athanasius said. He summarized this verse by saying, there never was when he was not. And so he doesn't say there never was a time because he knows that Jesus transcends all of time, that he transcends all of space. So he doesn't put Jesus in that limited framework. What he says is there, was, there never was when Jesus was not. A matter of fact, Jesus lets us know that he concurs completely with what the Holy Spirit has led John to write here. In the beginning was the Word, and then in verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. In John 17, 5, Jesus said in that high priestly prayer that he was making on the night that he was betrayed, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, now watch this, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. John 17, verse 24. 
what is he speaking about there? He's saying he's always existed. There's never been a time that Jesus has not existed. That's vitally and tremendously important for you to believe that and to wrap your head around that and to uh, cherish that and hold on to that. And the reason that is so vitally important, uh, one of the reasons it's so vitally important for us to understand that and believe that is because it speaks the immutability of Jesus Christ. It speaks to so much more about that, but when we come to make application, you're going to see that so clearly. Jesus has always existed. So one of the things you can take away from that is this. Jesus was not created, right? So if you're here this morning and you've lived with that idea that somehow Jesus was created, or if you're here this morning and you think, well, Jesus as the Son, he must have came from the Father, and John 3.16 in some translation says that he's your only begotten Son, and sometimes if we don't understand that Greek, that word begotten, we think, that means he was begotten by the Father, that he did not exist. There was a time that he didn't exist, but because God loved the world and he needed to deal with sin, that we say, well then, uh, he was created or God chose to uh, have Jesus. But that is not true at all. This idea that Jesus was begotten carries with the idea he was unique. He was the one and only there was no one ever like him, nor will there ever be anyone like Jesus. Now, if you're thinking about what does that mean for me, if he's so unique and there's no one ever like Jesus, it should help you to start moving your eyes this way and up and high and exalted because if there's no one like him, it means that he is preeminent, right? He's the firstborn among many brethren. He is above all, before all. Jesus eternally exists with God. If you are thankful for that, say amen. Here's the second statement. Y'all are doing good in Theology 101, all right? Here's the second statement that John makes. Listen to what he says. The second statement in verse 1, and the word was with God. In the beginning was the Word. He was in the beginning with God, verse 2. And then he says in verse 1, And the Word was with God. Jesus not only eternally exists with God, but Jesus effectively shares the Godhead with God and the Holy Spirit. What does that word mean? He effectively shares. It means he carries out his role and responsibility, and he carries out his equal share of the triune Godhead perfectly. What, what do you mean, preacher? What is John meaning when he says, and the word was with God? This sentence carries the idea that Jesus as this divine logos was completely at home with the Godhead. He was completely at home with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. They, all three together, co-equal in the Trinity, enjoyed face-to-face, -face, intimate, personal fellowship amongst each other. And so when we start talking about creation and we say something like, God chose to create Adam and Eve because he sought to have fellowship 
with creation that he did not previously have. That's not true. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all essentially sharing in that triune, trinity, beautiful picture of the Godhead, they know each other, and they fellowship with one another, and they have interaction with one another. This word with carries with it the idea that they are face-to-face, one with another. It's a beautiful picture. It's the idea that Jesus is not created, he's not made, he's not a solution to our sin, Uh, He has never been, as we mentioned, he's never been fathered, but he has always effectively shared the Godhead with God and the Holy Spirit. That is tremendous, tremendous statement. And the word was with God. Preacher, why do you think that's so important? Why, Why do you get excited when you share that truth this morning, that the word was with God? Because as he shares this Godhead with the Father and with the Holy Spirit, with God and the Holy Spirit, here is what's going on. Listen to this. He is saying there's no other way to know the Godhead, this self-revealing God who's made himself known, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, except through the Word, this personal Word, this divine Logos, which is Jesus. And so when I'm in college and I'm reading all these self-help books, wondering what life is about, trying to figure out why I'm existing, why I'm a sophomore at the University of Kentucky, why do I sin, why do I do this, and what am I going to do with my life? When I'm trying to figure all that out, there was an answer contained within the Word of God, and it is this self-revealing Word who's made himself personally known in the person of Jesus who is saying, you exist because I've chosen to create you. And there's a tremendous blessing that comes in that as we begin to understand that every attribute, every characteristic that the Father has, that the Holy Spirit has, Jesus has as well. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus has come for you. And Jesus has revealed this Godhead to you. Isn't that amazing truth? It's a Wonderful, wonderful blessing. So when we have Sunday school class and we talk about the Trinity, which who can talk about that in a logical way for very long? We just run out of things to say about that, not because the subject matter is lacking, but because our minds just can't grasp it. But when we say things like this, when people have said, explain the Trinity to me, preacher, I used to take stabs at it like this, and I would say, well, God reveals himself as Father, and Jesus reveals himself as the Son, and the Spirit reveals himself as this Holy Spirit who illuminates the Word, and they all three have a different function, but they're one. And you say, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. It's just not complete, right? Then I would graduate, and I heard someone say, well, here's a better analogy. The Holy Trinity is sort of like water in three different forms. It's like running water. It's like water that is frozen and made ice, but it's still water. And it's like water that's heated and it vaporizes. It becomes a mist and a steam and and a vapor. And so you have water, which is one particular entity. 
but you have it in an ice form and in its liquid form, and you have it in its vapor form or in its mist. And you say, well, what, what, what's wrong with that, preacher? Well, there's nothing wrong with it except that it's incomplete. So watch this. What are you saying today, pastor? I'm almost feeling like the word is over my head. Listen to what I'm saying. That's exactly what God is wanting us to do. Not go over our heads, but to lift our heads up. Jesus is more than a baby born in a manger. He's more than a baby who is born in Bethlehem in a stable. He's more than this suffering servant. He's more than just the Savior who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Jesus is effectively the Godhead that, that we can possibly know and that we can possibly interact with. And so he, he reveals this Godhead to us in a very effective way. And the Word was with God. And then here is that third statement that he makes. Look at that last portion or sentence of verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and he says, and the Word was God. And the Word was God. That's a tremendously important statement because what John does in the very beginning is this. He lets us know that Jesus is not one among many gods. Jesus is not one way to know eternity, to have a home in heaven, to have life after death. What he's saying is, Jesus is God in the flesh. Here's the way Thomas shared that. In John chapter 20, I'm going to read verses 26 through 28. And just listen, if you'll remember this text when you hear it. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, this is the upper room, Jesus came, he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then do you remember Thomas? Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. And he said, Do not disbelieve, but believe. And do you remember Thomas's response? Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Do you know what he was saying in doing that? Here's what he was saying. Thomas was saying, You are not only my Lord, you're not only the one who's in control, but you are God. Now, my brothers and sisters, this is really, really important. When we begin to make application and we begin to think through tremendously deep and wide statements like this, God doesn't want us to just read them and go right past them. God doesn't want us just to say, okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. Boy, that's good. Jesus was with God in the beginning. And move on. He wants us to think about the implications of what he's saying. And watch this. And he wants us to understand why that's so vitally important to our life. And so why is it important for John to teach us that Jesus eternally exists with God? Here's what you came for today. You came for this application. And so listen to that application. 
Jesus eternally existing with God in the past, in the present, and in the future is so vitally important because when everything in your life changes, Jesus, this eternal one, never changes. There's this word, right, that theologians give to that, immutability, this fact that God is constant and that we see God clearly in the person of Jesus and that Jesus is this one constant hope and beauty and glory in your life. So when you're hearing, you're thinking about your uh, about um, why is it important for me to understand that Jesus has eternally existed with God and he will always eternally exist with God. Because when your hope is waning and your life is changing, Jesus is this one constant hope. When you struggle in your relationship with your husband or your wife, when your children begin to get older and they leave your home, when you go to work and your boss says, you know what, I'm going to have to lay you off. Things are just getting tight around here and we just can't do this. Or maybe they say, you know what, we just uh, have decided to go a different route and you find out that they bring somebody else in. When you get word that someone that you dearly love and that you care about is sick and they, they've been diagnosed with a terminal illness and you are rattled to the bone. It is in those times that this doctrine is very important for us to understand and believe that God will not leave us, that he eternally exists and he is eternally there for us. He always has been and he always will be. And so this present struggle or time or change or difficulty in your life that you ever experience never has caught God by surprise. If you are thankful for that, say amen. God knows it. Why? Because he's always been. A matter of fact, we're going to read next week, nothing has been created without Jesus being the one who has created it. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus is this one constant hope and when you struggle with beauty, he is your one constant beauty. When you struggle with glory, what do I live for? What is the supreme high in life? I want to enjoy life. What is the pinnacle of glory? Jesus has revealed himself as this always existing triune God you're grateful for that, say amen. Here's the second application. When you start thinking about how Jesus effectively shares this Godhead with God the Holy Spirit, why is that important for me to know and believe? Pastor, what's the take home for me in that? Listen to this and listen well. Jesus will never be boring or become old to you because he shares in the limitlessness of God. Sometimes, are you listening? If you are, say amen. Sometimes we focus on the humanity of Jesus and we forget his deity. We focus on the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but we think about his suffering and his agony as we should. But sometimes we focus on that humanity, forgetting that he did that as deity. So he completely 
satisfied the wrath of God toward my sin, toward your sin. The word is propitiation. He completely satisfied God's wrath for our sin. So listen to this. If you know the Jesus of Scripture, you will never find Jesus boring. You will never find Jesus dreadful. And you'll never find Jesus cold. Sometimes I have conversations with people, and they'll go like this. My dad was one of the ones who would talk about it a lot. He would say, you a preacher? And I'd say, yeah. You think you know the Bible? And I'd say, well, I hope so, right? We're studying. We don't know everything, but we hope so. And he would say, is God going to let me fish in heaven? And I said, well, I think we're going to enjoy creation, and so maybe you'll fish. You may not fish the way you fish now, but I think you're going to be able to enjoy creation in a very real sense, Dad. I think you're going to enjoy it. And he said, you think heaven's ever going to grow old? And I'd say, Pa, heaven's never going to grow old. Do you think that God is ever going to grow old? And he would always answer, no. And I would say, everything about God's celestial city will never grow old, right? And so if you're here today and you're a teenager, you're a young adult, or I better stand still, or uh, you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I've tried Christianity, I've tried religion every Christmas, every New Year, so I try to start off a new leaf, but somehow I become disenchanted, I become disenchanted with Jesus or with the story, you have not tried the authentic article. Listen to me. When you hear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, this divine Logos, was God, and He was in the beginning with God, your soul, when you begin to understand it, should soar, and it should leap, and you should begin to understand Jesus will never be boring. You say, how do you know that, preacher? He tells us that. John, in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then chapter 21, verse 25, he says, now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The limitlessness of Jesus. What are you saying, preacher? I'm just saying to you today, this Christmas season, I believe if you hook your wagon to the Jesus of Scripture and you begin to focus on this Jesus who is the beginning of all things and through him all things exist, And nothing exists without this Jesus. I think you're never going to find him lacking. Don't raise your hand. People ever disappoint you? Anyone ever sinned against you? Have you ever had your hopes dashed? Have you ever seen beauty fade. I've seen that this past two weeks. We have a row of trees that uh, line this uh, drive that we drive down and man just two weeks ago they were 
yellow and they were red and they were green and they were just orange. One morning I, I left for church and I just took a picture of it because it was just all beautiful. Today, they're all a pile of wet, dead-looking leaves all over the place. They lost their beauty, right? So when you've lost your hope or confidence in someone, you have lost the beauty of this particular image when you are wondering about, is there anything constant in my life? I want to say to you, he is this constant hope, beauty, and glory because he's this limitless God. And then lastly, here's this application. Stand to your feet and you'll go home. Jesus is worthy of our absolute worship because he is equally one with God. Now this is the heart of the matter. Matthew takes almost uh, 27 chapters, 26 chapters to get to this. Luke takes 22 chapters, I think it is, to get to this. John starts in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and he says this, this divine Logos, this great I Am, this living Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, this Jesus, he is God. And he just simply says it, by this, and the word was God. Jesus is worthy of our absolute worship because he's equally one with God. Why do I stand before you and say, would you pray and ask God to allow you to sacrificially give to reach the nations with the gospel by us reaching this $50,000 goal? When I ask you to come and worship and assemble yourselves on Sunday mornings and find an area that you're gifted and serve the Lord in that area. And when I ask you to love one another and serve one another and treat one another the way God would have you treat one another in the Word, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Upon whose authority would a pastor ever stand and make such a claim? And it's upon the authority of this Word that was God. We should worship Him without ceasing. We should obey Him without hesitating. We should love Him without reservation and we should serve Him without interruption. The supremacy of Jesus the Christ deserves our exclusive loyalty at all times. Our Jehovah Witness friends interpret this passage all wrong. A matter of fact, they had to come up with their own translation that reads differently than John 1.1, which is the complete error of the rest of the context of Scripture. Because they would say, Jesus has some godlike qualities, but Jesus is not God. Our Muslim friends, which I have several, would say, Jesus is a prophet. But Jesus is not God. A matter of fact, they would say, if you claim that Jesus is God, you're sinning in that. There's only one God, and it is Allah. Jesus has truth claims, but he is not God. 
Do you see the practical implication for us today? This is a tremendously exclusive loyalty that Jesus calls us to. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is the only way. He tells us in John 14, 6, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. Do you believe that today? If you believe that, we need to proclaim it. Because everyone who does not believe that, we're going to find out, is living in darkness. And we need to get the gospel to them. And what a great time to begin to do that. A.T. Robertson, who once served at Southern Seminary, says this. He called this uh, portion of John, this introduction of John, the most wonderful of all introductions. And he simply had this lyric or rhyme. He said, what will you do with Jesus? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, what will he do with me? I don't know about you, but when I think about what will Jesus do with me, I am praying that because of his work, all of my sin has been covered, and I'm trusting him and him alone, not Jesus and anything else. Have you done that in your heart and life? Because John would have us this Christmas season to do that with all of our hearts and all of our life. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for making tremendous application to our hearts and lives, God, through it. Thank you, Lord, for making yourself known, for revealing yourself to us. You're not this... God, that is full of tyranny and and anger and hostility. But God, that you love your creation. And God, you love us in spite of our sin. While we were yet sinners, you tell us that Christ died for us. And God, you came and revealed yourself. And Lord, you not only revealed yourself in so many beautiful ways that we celebrate during Christmas season, But God, you have revealed yourself as this divine Logos, this great I Am, this God who has always existed, this Jesus who is co-equal with God in every conceivable and imaginable way. God, thank you for revealing yourself in human form. God, we celebrate your deity, and God, we celebrate your humanity. And today, God, as we start this Advent season, Lord, we want to bow our heads. We want to bow our hearts. And God, thank you for coming. And God, we pray that you would come again. And Lord, that we would find you this tremendous constant, this beautiful picture that never fades. This expectant glory that never runs out. Lay hold to our hearts and lay hold to our minds. God, may we surrender our lives fresh and new to 
the supremacy of Christ today. Lord, help us to share this wonderful good news that God is among us. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We pray that you would honor the reading and the preaching of your word now by speaking to hearts. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. As we lift our voices together, if you need to come and pray, you want to come and pray for missionaries, you want to respond to the word, you want to ask Jesus, God, I've, I've not given you a fair shake because there's just times I find you boring or that I've found your word not sufficient or I've not found Jesus captivating and you want to come and say, Lord, forgive me of that. Help me to focus on the biblical Jesus. Whatever your need is today, I want to invite you to come as we sing.